0: This is ignite. Hallelujah. Because leaves, we can leave again. Hallelujah. Good afternoon, ignite church. Good afternoon. Um, happy Easter. Can you just turn around to three or four people around you and just shake hands with them and tell them Happy Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the person around you is not greeting you, walk up to somebody else. It's all right. Just find somebody else that will say hello to you. Just tell them, happy Easter. Yeah, nice to see you. Happy Easter, praise God. I was, going to, I was tempted to do what Topsy did here too, and say, do you like my clothes, do you like my suit? But I just thought, no, I think I'll take a pass. Praise God, that, that will not be masculine. And my pronoun is he and him, he, he, him, that's my pronoun. So just in case you're wondering, praise God. All right, just for a few minutes, we've, wow, Ignite Creative, wasn't that amazing? I love, I love, woof, I love that. That was really good. Not guilty not guilty. For every one of us that voted guilty, let me just tell you what that means in Scripture. It just means that you are suffering from sin consciousness while you need to have righteousness consciousness. It's very tough. You know, I don't know if it's happened to you where you go into a store, you run into somebody, you just feel, maybe person's ahead of you, you feel led to pay for the person, maybe, you know, Timothy or something, just tell the person, don't worry about it, and the person is feeling bad. The person says, no, no, I want to, I want to do it myself. The person says, well, you know, because as a human being, we feel a sense of we want to earn it. We want to earn it. Whatever we have, we want to earn it. But salvation is not something we can earn. It's not of works. It's a free gift of God. And it's very difficult to receive a free gift, particularly when it's the best gift. To receive a free gift that is the best gift can be very hard. Hard? Why is it hard? It's hard on our pride. It's hard on our pride. I know this doesn't happen as much here, you know, because everything is so well structured in the school system here. But, you know, where I schooled in one country, forgotten the name of the country now. I'll remember later on. Where I schooled, you know, in the university system, the lecturer has quite a lot of discretion. It has quite a lot of discretion. Discretion. So, the lecturer can actually, you know, here you have your um, your, what's it called now again? Matrix? What's it? Marking? That's it. Rubric. So, you, when I was going to school in, in that country, baby, what's the name of the country you were born in? That's what I thought. I forgot the name of the Yeah. In that country, I never saw any rubric. There was no rubric. The rubric was always in the lecturer's head. You know, he just, based on what he thought, he had a lot of discretionary power. So anyway, the point I wanted to make is that the lecturer can decide to give you what is called bonus marks. And sometimes, you know, and I used to like that. I like lecturers that give bonus marks a lot. So you come to class, the lecturer tells you, you know what, because you come to class and you've been good, A lot of that, I'm just going to give you 20%. I used to like that. The extra smart people like this lady sitting down in front of me here right now, they didn't like lecturers that give bonus marks. Just like some of you didn't like it. But I liked it. Because it leveled the road for every one of us. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you, know, you know, it pushed us into places we couldn't get to originally. That's what salvation did. God just decided to give you and I a bonus mark called Jesus Christ. So that the mark we could not reach, you know, sin, the real definition of sin in Scripture is missing the mark. So the mark we missed, we couldn't get it, we couldn't get to that point, and we needed to get to that point, but we couldn't get to that point. No matter how hard we tried, God said, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. I will. Jesus will come in, and Jesus came in and met all the requirements and He accounted for us the marks that he got and credited it into our own account. So the Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast. It's the free gift of God. Aren't you excited Jesus came and died for you? Okay. So very quickly, I just want to talk about what the resurrection means in a few, few minutes that I've been given here. All right, I want to talk, first talk about this, some common misconceptions about the resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word by your Holy Spirit. Please, we're asking that you will speak to us clearly today by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. What are some common misconceptions about the resurrection? Number one, you've got to know that Jesus was not resuscitated. <laughs> You know, some of you are in the medical line here. It's always Jesus fainted. 911 was called by Peter. You know, the ambulance came. You know, they took a defibrillator and jacked this out. <laughs> and after three or four times, Jesus woke up and said, I'm alive. I'm he that lives and was dead. <laughs> no, not that. He was not resuscitated. Number two, he was not translated. Jesus, the resurrection means he bodily returned to life. It's a very important part of the resurrection. Bodily, he returned to life with a body that is now incorruptible, transformed, and eternal. Stay with me. This is not going to, should not take too long. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to uh, 44. Someone will say, how are the dead raised up and what body would they come with? No, just leave my slides on, please. Just leave my slides on. Thank you. And with what body did they come? And it says they are raised in in incorruption. Okay? They're sown in dishonor. They're raised in glory. So the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus resurrected bodily from the dead. Okay? Matthew 28, verse 1 says, Early on Sunday morning, as the day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down, from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. All right? Verse 6, Matthew 28, verse 6. The angel said, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said it will happen. Come see where his body was lying. Okay? Where they laid his body. All right? Now, so the resurrection of Jesus... He resurrected bodily. This is a very important, fundamental, foundational truth of our faith. You must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not a figure of speech. It's not a metaphor. When we say Jesus resurrected from the dead, it's not a metaphor. It's not a figure of speech. It's He resurrected bodily, literally from the dead, okay, and showed His wounds that he had while he was being crucified to his disciples. In the book of John chapter 19, verse 19 to 20, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came, this is after he resurrected now, just to show you that he was a real body. He came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. And he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his sight, because when he had died, you know, as you can see out there in the display out there, they nailed him to the cross, so he had wounds in his hand, and when, when the Roman soldiers came to the cross, because actually when somebody hangs on the cross, it's a very brutal way that was invented by the Romans, ancient Romans, to kill somebody. It's a way of, it's a slow death way of killing somebody. So when the person hangs in there, you know, in order to make it faster, sometimes they will come in, and you see that in the scripture, they will break the legs of the person. So that helps. For some reason, it helps. Uh, I've asked some of my medical doctor friends, and they've given me. If I ask twenty medical doctors, they give me twenty different reasons. But one of them told me that when that happens, uh, for one, some some reason, the person dies eventually. Of that they, they, the lungs just are unable to take in enough oxygen that is required for the system at that particular time and eventually, eventually die for lack of oxygen. You know, they break the leg, but when they came to Jesus, he had already died. He had already died because he yielded up his spirits. But nevertheless, the wounds were still there. But when, it, when, they, when they saw that they had died, one of the Roman, overzealous Roman soldiers, took a spear and pierced him on his side. And the Bible says blood and water came out. All of this, there were reasons for all of this in Scripture, okay? The reason why he was pierced at his side was because Jesus told them in John chapter 15 that, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener, but I'm the true vine. So, Jesus likened himself to a true vine, to a vine. Now, the people in Israel, they were used to, most of them were farmers anyway, or fishermen, so they were used to the concept of dressing a vine. So, and in the book of Romans chapter 11, the Bible says that the biological Jews were native olive plants, that people like you and me that were not biological Jews but eventually gave our lives to Christ, that were called wild olive plants, but were grafted in. So when Jesus was pierced on the side it, by the Roman soldier, who is a Gentile, not a Jew, It was to create an opening on his side that all the other Gentiles can be grafted in. That was the meaning of that. See? So the Bible says they were filled with joy and they saw the Lord. You see, when Jesus appeared to his disciples again, he ate with them after the resurrection. Ghosts don't eat. So the resurrected Jesus was not a ghost, he had a body. And this is a very important concept. And he ate, he actually ate real food with them. Let's look at it in Scripture. In the book of Luke 24, 36 to 43, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. And they were terrified, frightened, and they supposed they had seen a spirit or a ghost, some translations will say. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt Why do doubts arise in your heart? If you were there in today's world and you were one of the disciples, when Jesus said that, you know what you will have said? Seriously? Like, how often does this happen? That people will go to the grave, after three days they will come back. (laughs) You're telling me why am I afraid? Of course I'm afraid. For some of you, if you get home now, you see your late grandmother waiting for you, wishing you happy Easter. What will you do? Well, somebody said, I'll run back to church. <laughs> I'll run back to church and come and stay in church. They say, hey, PWA, come, help me. Then Jesus said to them, behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Come and touch me, handle me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Ignite your, can I go one step deeper here? It's very important. Can I go one step deeper here? All right, let me show you something here. Jesus said, notice the words Jesus said. Behold, handle me and say, touch me. A spirit does not have a body. But Jesus was going to say something now. When you want to say, I'm a human being, what phrase do you normally use? So I'm a human being. I'm flesh and blood. When Jesus said to Peter, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, right? But when Jesus was going to describe himself here, he never used the word blood. He said, flesh and what? Bones. Not blood. Why? Because his blood has now been put in the tabernacle on the mercy seat in heaven to atone for our sins. <laughs> he has taken... Remember when Mary Magdalene wanted to touch him? He said, no, you can't touch me. Let me go to my father first. He had to go, take that blood, put it on the mercy seat. The, 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 the little... Um, 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 skits you just saw here. He had to put the blood on the mercy seats in the tabernacle in heaven, not made with human hands, to atone for our sins, your sins, and my sins. That is why today now when the accuser of the brethren, and David, you did a good job of being an accuser. You know, because one of the things about an accuser is that they're relentless in their messaging. They're very relentless in their messaging. They keep on, they just keep on, they keep at it. They keep accusing you. When the accuser keeps bringing forth the same old thing again, we can let the accuser be silenced by telling him the blood. So while the accuser is accusing us on one side, the advocate, Jesus Christ, is saying, but my blood is on the altar for them. My blood is on the altar for them. That's all he needs to say. My blood is on the altar for them. So he said, flesh and bones, as you see, I have. Then, when he so said this thing, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, you know, they were still like, ah. Then he asked all right, it's okay. Do you have any panda, <laughs> You know, what I said this, people were like, do you know, if Jesus if Jesus had come, you know, he came as a Jew, now, Jesus is the second person of Trinity, he is God. He, he, you know, he was born as a jew he's a jew no doubt about that but let's just just use your imagination if you had come as a nigerian what kind of food do you think you eat jerry's you're yeah, just being nice if you had come as a southwestern nigerian would it. when you know what the bible says as they were eating they were doing the communion so he said as they were eating he took some of the food and gave them. said take this is my body for you and took somebody the drink and said take drink so when he says as they were eating, if jesus had come as a southwestern nigerian what do you think they will have been eating? it was evening <laughs> you can see you're thinking you don't want to offend jesus it should have been banded to him or something if he had come in as An Eastern Nigerian. What do you think they would have been? If he had come in as a Ghanaian, I can tell you for sure what they would have been eating. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) One heavy Ghanaian fufu. And shito. Kotomeri or what have you. You know, he, he he would have been eating the food that is common or native to the people he came as. Do you agree with me? Yeah. So he asked them, do you have any food? And of course they said they had food. And they gave him, look at that. Nice food. A piece of broiled fish. Some honeycomb. <laughs> Somebody's out there saying, This is not food. <laughs> I need to teach these people what food is. Well, this is food. You give him broiled fish. So when I get home, that's what I'm going to go eat because this is what Jesus said. <laughs> you didn't hear that? Cancel, cancel, cancel. All right. What I just said there was just. Instagram compatible. <laughs> because the real thing I want to go and eat, I can't say it out here. All right. So, a piece of broadfish fish and honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Thank you, Lord. And ate it in their presence. So, denying the resurrection, then, some people say, well, you know, I'm not sure. I don't want no, you can't be a Christian and deny the resurrection. If you deny the resurrection, let me tell you the implications. And... We might just wrap it up here. The first one is hopelessness. You can't, if once you deny the resurrection, you can't be a Christian, and Christ in you is what is the hope of glory. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men the most pitiable. So we can't have hope only in this world. It does not end here. Because Christ is risen from the dead. One day, you and all of your loved ones that are dead, they will also rise again. And we are going to see him again because he is alive. If we deny Christ, then our faith is useless. That's exactly what the Bible says. Our faith is futile, our faith is impotent. First Corinthians 15:17. It says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. New living translation, 1 Corinthians 15:17. And you are still guilty. Of your sins, somebody say not guilty. guilty. Yeah, say it again, not guilty. guilty. The declaration that you are not guilty is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. When Christ rose from the dead, really, he made the announcement to let you know you are not guilty. You are not guilty. All right. So, what does the resurrection mean? Then, first, it's the confirmation and declaration of the real identity of Jesus Christ. You know. When Jesus came, and you know, the, the prophecy has always been there in the Old Testament that he was going to come, God was going to come in flesh, he was going to be born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, you know, uh, he was going to be born of a virgin, okay, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, okay, he was going to come, he was going to be anointed as a Messiah, Isaiah chapter 61, from verse 1, okay, all these prophecies are there, but when he came. Some people doubted him that he was the Son of God, but when he died and he rose from the dead, that was the final confirmation that who he said he was is who he is. Romans 1 verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he was declared to be who he said he was by the resurrection from the dead. That's why we celebrate today, because Jesus was declared to be who he said he was because he's no longer in the grave. He's risen. So Jesus was not just a good teacher, though he was very good. He wasn't just a prophet, though he gave prophecies. He wasn't just a selfless leader, though he was the best leader that's ever worked on the surface of this earth. Jesus was God incarnate. Okay? The Word That became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That process of become flesh is what is called incarnation. Okay? So it's God incarnate that dwelt among us. The resurrection proves the faithfulness of God beyond a doubt. Why do I say that? Because Christ was in the grave, and the Scripture says, He will not leave my soul in Hades, okay? nor allow His body to suffer corruption or decay. This is in Psalm 16. okay. God the Father was faithful to keep His word to Jesus, that if He came and died for our sins, that He will raise Him from the dead. So when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he took his last breath. As you can see in this scripture, Luke 23, verse 46. From then on, he was left to God the Father to do what he had promised Jesus he would do. The Father didn't leave his soul in the grave. He didn't allow the Holy One to see corruption. So the Bible says, whom God raised, having to lose the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Finally, the resurrection, and this is where it really begins to apply to you. The resurrection proves the incredible superiority of the wisdom of God, the supremacy of the power of God, and the superiority of the wisdom of God is what the resurrection proves. How so? So there's a little... uh, Scripture attached to this, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 to 8. But I need to paint, put it in context for you. Or well, let's look at the scripture first, then we'll come back to it again and we close. This is what the scripture says We speak wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Pay attention to verse 8, which none None, not even one of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So what does this really mean? So let me tell you what it means. When Jesus came, all right, he was born, grew up, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And at the age of 30, he went into the synagogue, as it was the custom, somebody ought to read the scriptures. They handed him the book of Isaiah. They handed him the scroll, rather. This is in Luke chapter 4, I'm telling you now. They handed him the scroll. He opened it to the book of Isaiah, okay, what we call chapter 61 now. But you see, in the original way the scripture is written in the original language, there's no chapter or verses. It's written as one long prophecy, okay? It was broken down into verses and chapters for easy recall and referencing. Are you, are you following? All right. So he read the place where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Okay? So he read that place. Now, every Jew that goes to the synagogue, every Jew that goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, they know that scripture applies to the Messiah, and that when the Messiah comes, he was going to read that scripture. So when Jesus took that, in the book of Luke chapter 4, and he read that from verse 18, and in verse 22, Luke four twenty-two, put it on the screen, please. Luke chapter 4, verse 22, please. Verse 21, sorry. Luke four twenty-one. He began to say to them, look at what he said. He said to them, today. This scripture that he just read is fulfilled in your hearing. So, in other words, this was the declaration telling them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I am the Christ. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. He said, That scripture that Isaiah wrote 700 years ago is fulfilled today. Okay? Now, when Jesus said that, then, of course, all manner of amazing testimonies, miracles were happening. The religious leaders of his day, Okay, You had two powerful religious groups then, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, they make up um, a body, the religious body that controlled. This religious body was so powerful. They don't just control the religious aspect of life of the Jews. It was also a political body. They called it Sanhedrin. Are you the following? They called it Sanhedrin. Now, for you to be a preacher or to discharge religious duties, you need to get approval or authorization from this hand handheader. Jesus did not. He just went, came out of the wilderness, the Holy Spirit came upon him, alright, um, and then he read this scripture and then he started, he started doing these amazing miracles, preaching and he started gathering a lot of followers. Multitudes of people started following him. They believed in him. His message was direct and straight. His messages challenged the people. He told them how to live their life in a way that they will live an empowered life, not an enslaved life. Stay with me. Of course, this was a big challenge to the religious bodies because the whole concept of religion is to enslave the followers. That's why Christ does not like religion, and you should not also the whole concept of religion is to enslave the followers of that religion by what they don't know. Religion thrives on ignorance. The greatest fear of religion is exposure to light. So, so, when Christ came, he said, you know what, that's why Christ was able to say, I'm the light of the world, because the greatest fear of religion is exposure to light. That's why when you see Don't let me offend anybody. This is Easter. (laughs) When Jesus came, he was telling them messages, giving them messages that was empowering the people. The people felt empowered, so they started following him. Many of them, mortals of them, they were coming from very far distances. When you see in the Bible, the Bible says they came from Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon in today's world is in Lebanon. It's in Lebanon. Now, you can just check a map and see where Lebanon is relative to Israel. Lebanon, of course, is not of Israel. To come all the way from Lebanon and come all the way to places like Jerusalem to, in the days when there's no flight, is hard. And people came from all those, all those places. They came to see Jesus. So, so, so the religious leaders became, they became very envious. They started planning what they were going to do against Jesus. They orchestrating. Now, you have to see, one of the things that undergirds religion is hypocrisy. Ignorance and hypocrisy are the twins, twin engines, two turbine engines that drive religion. Hypocrisy. Anytime you see religion, you it, it smells of hypocrisy. They tell you to do, they don't do. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you tell the people to do, but you don't lift a finger do the same thing. Then when you see them, you pretend with your long prayers. Religion. Terrible thing. This thing called religion. So because of the hypocrisy of the people, Jesus told them, he showed up in the synagogue one day. There was a man in the synagogue that had a withered hand. So Jesus asked them, the Bible said they were watching him. They were watching him. Watching him not the way you watch people Nicely. They were watching him the way African people watch people. African people have 100% peripheral vision. They don't need to look at you to see you. Come on, somebody. They don't look at you to see you, but they see you. You know, they capture you. Okay? So they 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 were eyeing Jesus, kind of looking at him, whether he will heal the man. They were only bothered by the suffering of that man. They were just eyeing Jesus. This is in Mark chapter 3, by the way. Eyeing Jesus from verse 1. Eyeing Jesus, where are you willing? That, that day happened to be on the Sabbath. So Jesus said to the man, come, stand up, stand here." To the man stood in front of all of them. So Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Is it good to do good, what do you think, or evil on the Sabbath?" And usually in the Scripture, when you read the Bible, you see, every time Jesus asks them a question that hits their core, that exposes their hypocrisy, the Bible says they will keep quiet. They will not say what. So Jesus said to them, you guys say we should not do anything on the Sabbath, and that's fine. He said, but your own animals at home, when they fall into the ditch, you go into the ditch and you pick up the animals. You're walking. Then he said, if your son was born, and the eighth day of that birth falls on the Sabbath, you call in the person and the junior rabbi that will come in to do the circumcision on that day. He said, so is a human being not more valuable than an animal? I think I need to repeat that because we live in the Western world. Deep. (laughs) Is a human being not more valuable than an animal? Do you know that in this part of the world, in the Western Hemisphere, people go to prison for mistreating animals, particularly in the U.S.? And when I say this, people laugh, but it's true, I'm an animal lover. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know, I practice forgiveness first, not with human beings, but with animals. When I was age 11, I was playing soccer, and we do this in Africa, we do this, we don't always play soccer on the field or in the park. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. We actually do kind of like play soccer on the street. so most of the time. So play soccer on the street, and you know, when you play soccer on the street, sometimes the ball you know, just finds its way into somebody else's um, property, you know? So the ball finds into some property on the street. So of course, I, my, one, of, one of my friends, we just in the heat of the moment, We ran into the house, you know, I didn't even see anything at the gates there. They had beware of dogs. I didn't even look at it. I was just trying to retrieve my ball, the ball, to go and continue the game. We ran there. Instead of my friend or two other people that came with me, instead of them to quickly warn me, they had disappeared. (laughs) Lo and behold, I was faced with the moment of truth. With this dog, I still remember clearly the dog's name is Captain. And the dog came after me, and the owners of the dog in the house, and they were calling it Captain, Captain. They, they said, "No, I have to finish this one." <laughs> after all, the Bible says, "Whatever your husband has to do, do with all of your might." And he came after me, and you know, and I was 11 years old, and I, I, the fence was so, so you know for an 11-year-old, the fence was so tall, so I it was so high, so I, I, I tried to go over the fence, you know. I jumped and I couldn't make it to the end, to, to the top of the fence. So the dog just came and pulled me down. And he didn't pull me down by asking me nicely, he pulled me down with his teeth to my midsection and pulled me down. Dog bite. you know, and was still trying to continue the job it felt God gave him to do. <laughs> so I had to fight off the dog that I felt I was fighting for my life, defending myself all marks of defensive marks all over my hand. But I've forgiven the dog. (laughs) I'm an animal lover. But the life of a human being is more important than the life of a dog. It's hypocrisy. Jesus was telling them. So Jesus healed the man. He healed the man. There was a woman that came into the synagogue in Luke chapter 13. 18 years, this woman has been bent over by an evil spirit but she was a regular in the synagogue. Jesus healed the woman. And the leader of the synagogue, that ought to be saying, praise God, finally, this woman has been, oh, this problem has been taken away. The Bible says the man was filled with indignation. Luke 13. The ruler of the synagogue was filled with indignation. Can you find the scripture and put it on the screen for me, please? Luke 13. Chini, you want to go in there, please? Jump in there for me. Thank you, quick. Luke 13. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Why? Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Luke 13, 14. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He filled with indignation. So this is hypocrisy of religion. So they didn't like Jesus. So they started conspiring. They started conspiring that they were going to kill him because they have to put a stop, they felt, to this threat to the hegemony. This was a threat to their political status. It was a threat to their way of life. It was a threat to the way they've set this thing up for a while. It was a threat. Jesus was exposing the people to light. He was showing them that life could be better. You don't have to be enslaved to this system. They didn't like that. A woman was caught in adultery. A woman was caught in adultery. A woman was caught in adultery in the very act. But she was the only one that was brought for judgment. But she was caught in the very act. How was she doing it virtually? <laughs> <laughs> Hypocrisy. What about the man? What about the man? Hypocrisy. That's what religion does. So, 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 Jesus said. Jesus said, "Look at these guys. These guys are amazing." So Jesus said, "No, no problem. I will let you do it. Whoever has this thing, let him cast the vest the Bible said they look at each other. All of a sudden, their motivation was serious. They said, uh, "Well, the first one, to times." Because they all know they were involved. So, and Bible said, from the greatest to the least, they all left. It was the woman that was left alone? These are very important concepts. So, these people said, "You know what? We're going to do one final act. We're going to put a stop to this. We're going to put a stop to this." So, what did they do? They conspired together, they looked for an opportunity to get Jesus. And to the Jews at that time didn't have the power to approve the execution of somebody. They needed the Roman, they were under the Roman rule. So they needed the Roman government. Also, but all of this was being orchestrated behind the scene in the invisible world by the devil, who is a spirit, who is invisible to the naked eyes and his cohorts of principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Are you following? Orchestrating and inspiring the religious authorities until they went to the Roman ruler called Pontius Pilate who approved the crucifixion, okay? And the crowd, Pontius Pilate even told them, guys, listen, let's reach a compromise there. I know you don't like Jesus. You said He's saying that he's the son of God. He's, He's challenging your religious monopoly and all, of, and all of that, I know you don't like him, I know you're handing him over to me because of envy, I find no fault in him, I'm going to whip him. I'm going to whip him, and, and when the Romans whip you, trust me, you, you know you were whipped. The Romans, they, you know, in, in, in the, joke, the joke about this is that in Bible times, the Romans were good at something, the Jews were good at something. The Jews were good at stoning people, the Romans were good at whipping people. If the Jews, so which one choose, your, choose the one you want? If the Jews stoned you, I mean, you were stoned. <laughs> you were stoned. They were very good at stoning people. And the Romans, the, the Romans invented different technologies to whip people. They had, they had uh, different types of whips for different types of offenses. You know, the capital offense was treason. Treason. If you if you are if you rebel against the rulership of Caesar, who is based in Rome, that's treasonous. So they had this whip. They, 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 that's why the Jews, the Romans, whipping so much. They were so confident. They had people, departments in their military that were just giving to whipping. Imagine your children ask you that. What did you do? <laughs> so, um, I'm a, I mean, I flog. I'm a flogger. So sorry. Yeah, I flog people. So, as a matter of fact, when they have serious offences, that's when they call me. <laughs> You know, you know, they had different categories of whips. They had ones that had jangled bones at the tip. They had others that had lead at the tip. So the, the, the Pontius Pilate said, I'm going to whip him, then release him. But ba- Barabbas, let's release Barabbas because he normally asks for one person. Now, Barabbas has committed treason. But they said, no, 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 no. They said, we're going to keep Barabbas. We're going to release Barabbas to us. We don't want him. You, you, this Jesus, he must be crucified. Barabbas said, what? What has he done? It, whatever you say is done, it's not risen to this level. They said, we don't even want to care. So Barabbas said, um, Barabbas said, I don't want to have anything of this. I'm going to wash my hands of this. They said, it's okay. His blood is on us, on our children. That's exactly what they said in Matthew chapter 27. The people answered, his blood is on us, and on our children. That's what he said. You could see the determination. They wanted to eliminate what this was. So that's what the Bible is saying. While they had all these plans, Satan was motivating them to have all these plans and saying, no, no compromise. Finish him. Because death was going to be his last day. What Satan did not understand is that the best of his plans, the best of the plan of the enemy has actually by God's own plan, had incorporated the worst of Satan's plan. So that when Satan does his worst, God's plan already accommodates that and still continues with his own plan. So, Satan did not know all this well. He was actually playing into the master plan. So he did that, killed Jesus. And in hell, they thought all was done until Jesus rose from the dead. But when he now rose from the dead, the problem Satan now has is that it's, not, it's now no, not just Jesus only that is carrying the resurrection power. From now on, every believer everywhere <laughs> now has the Holy Spirit inside it. So now, Satan doesn't have only one Jesus to deal with. Only one problem to be. He now has many Christ-like people to deal with, also called Christians or Christians. You see? So when Satan sees you right now, you remind him of his defeat. That's why what was a symbol of shame and defeat, a real symbol of shame and defeat, the cross. During, during, you know, today now we make it a religious symbol, we wear the cross. You need to understand that in the days when Jesus was here physically, the cross was a symbol of shame, it was a symbol of if, if a member of a family or somebody you knew was crucified on the cross forever and ever. That was a terrible thing. The cross was a symbol of shame, was a symbol of, I mean, terrible thing, or, or, of real disgrace. Now, this, this cross, because Jesus rose from the dead, now became a symbol of victory and the symbol of defeat of the devil. So every time Satan sees the cross now, it reminds him of his foolishness, that you mean I was this foolish, I did not know that all of my energy, motivation, activity was working. I meant it for evil, but it worked for the good. So the resurrection is a demonstration of the superiority of the wisdom of God and the supremacy of the power of God. I want to pray for you this week, because I know um, our time is fast spent now. I want to pray for you this week. Just what I said in this last point, that the superiority of the wisdom of God and the supremacy of the power of God will work in your life. Let's, let me give you an example. I studied pharmacy in school, when I came out of school. By the grace of God, I had in Nigeria, as at the time I came out of school, I graduated from the university in 1990. If you have family members, uncles, brothers, daddies, mummies that come from the country of Africa, uh, the continent of Africa, the country of Nigeria, you can ask them around, around that time. Coming out of the university as a pharmacist, I got what was the best job in pharmacy at that time. I was working in a multinational company called Gladys Smith Klein. Um, I was working there from Nigeria at that time, which was a big deal. For some of us in the part of the world, it might not look like a big deal, but from Nigeria, it was a big deal. At that age then, I got a job. They sent me to the US for training, England and the US for training. Came back, they gave me an official car with an official driver. Friends, as at this time, coming out of university, doing my internship as a pharmacist, doing a military slavery, sorry. And <laughs> national youths for the government of Nigeria, one year to pay my dues. Since students in Nigeria at that time don't pay tuition, so they enslaved us for one year to repay the tuition fees. So I, I did that. With all of that, I was still 22, going to 23, and I had an official driver that was more than twice my age. I had so much money, I didn't know what to do with it. Then I left it, decided I wanted to go to London. I got to London, met some of my classmates. We're living together in London, England. Then we all decided that, ah, the money they pay pharmacists in America, my god, is better. So we calculated it and changed it to Naira. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we're on the richest list in Africa. (laughs) We're so excited. I mean, we're young, 22, 23. We're so excited about the opportunities not opportunities in life. Opportunities for every that are with us in Africa. We're going to spend money, man. Praise God. So we decided to go write our exams in America. So we put in, sent in our, our, our documents, transcripts, and all of that. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. When the American institutions replied, you know, of all of us that put in, I was the only one that told you're okay straight away to come and write the exams. Every other person, they told them, mm, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, still do this. Yes, but, but for me, they just said, go ahead. So I was oh, my God, this is great. Now, I've been to the U.S. before, not a big deal. Then I went to the American embassy to go and get my visa to go write the exam. And the American embassy said, no. I said, well, I mean, what do you mean, no? They said, like, no, like, N-O, no. So I said, all right, all right. I'm sure this whole thing is just all a mistake and all of that. So I came back again. Because it was supposed to be a mistake, right? And again, they said, no. Ah, are you serious? Then I went back the third time again. And they said, didn't we tell you no twice? I said, yes. They said, so this time around, we're not going to just tell you. We're going to say, no. So I remember that they very clearly, the lady that stamped my passport, because you they know, they're very nice, you know, it's an embassy, they're diplomatic, they don't tell you, they don't write no on your passport, they just say, application received. That's it Application received, but visa not released. But application received. I remember that day very clearly, the lady that put the stamp on my passport, she didn't, normally when you stamp a passport, you just stamp it, boom, and push it back. to the She put it there and she was pressing it. As she, as she kept her hand on it, honestly, honestly, I felt it was like an elephant sat on my left ventricle, <laughs> squeezing out the blood out of me. I felt all of my future, everything in my life has been squeezed out of me. I'd resigned from my previous job. I'm here hanging in between somewhere and nowhere. I felt life has been squeezed out of me. And she gave me back my passport. I look at her. This whole stamping thing probably took about five seconds, but for me, it looks like five centuries. No. <laughs> Push it back to me, I took what, for me, at that point now, was like the carcass of my future. I took it in my hands, and I thought to myself, this is the end of my life. But you see, this is what the Bible says. Had the devil known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All Satan should have just done, if he had any sense, is to have allowed me to just go to the U.S., practice my pharmacy, make some money, and go and do my thing. But he blocked the way. Not knowing that he was blocking the way against himself. Then all this while, my brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws, Topsy's um, junior brother, who was working in the bank in Nigeria at that time, felt he wanted to come to Canada. So along the lines, we getting one of the magazines for him, researching how what it would take for him to come to Canada. So Thompson was really researching all of this, and I I was working on it too. But the magazine was lying somewhere on a coffee table. I didn't really bother. It was not for me. I mean, I'm going to the US. I already knew well. I already interviewed with some companies in the US. They give me a job. I was excited. I already calculated the salary. I feel I already spent my first month's salary. <laughs> so, this was, this was just for my brother in law. He can be coming to Canada. I'm in the US, where the big boys are. <laughs> so, of course, by the time the woman squeezed blood out of my left ventricle, when I got home, the magazine became very attractive. <laughs> so, I took it, I looked at it. According to the long story short, I applied to come to Canada. Then when I came to Canada, and I've never practiced pharmacy for one minute in Canada. When I came into Canada, when I look back now, 23 years, is going to be on Friday, I've been doing this now. When I look back now, you see, when I look back now, I say to myself, if Satan has to choose, between me doing what I'm doing here right now or me just going to the U.S. and making a few money and going to live a successful but irrelevant life, insignificant life, successful financially, no doubt, but not impactful. Satan would have chosen that. But he blocked that, thinking that they had blocked everything. But the superiority of the wisdom of God and the resurrection power of God resurrected my life and my future. And see the fruit has been produced now. That's the same thing with you, what God can do with you. No way is permanently blocked for a Christian. You can't get to a point and say, ah, there's no way anymore. Not for a Christian. As long as God is on the throne and the resurrection power is at work, there is always a way for you. If there's a Red Sea in front of you and the situation, listen very carefully, the solution you think you will need is unprecedented, then you are very much in good company. Just because that's never happened before does not mean God cannot customize an unprecedented solution for you. He can. He can. And He will. His wisdom that will solve the issue will make the devil know he is foolish because he is foolish. The supreme power of God will humble the enemy and all of his cohorts concerning your life. Please say amen to that. This is what God did for me. So one day I was in Canada here, many, 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 many years ago, and Topsy and I were, you know, fooling around, just basically teasing each other, out, driving. Well, I like to drive, so we're taking a drive and all of that. And incidentally, we had our passports in our hand. So incidentally, just came to us. Thompson, he said, "What are you? I feel hungry." I said, "Okay." And we're driving. We're right now we're just driving to Saint Catherine's area. So for some reason, we're just 10 minutes away from the U.S. border. So he said, "Let's just go into the U.S." Oh, since we We had just traveled, we come back, I think from Nigeria or somewhere. We had our passport with us. So we just drove into the U.S. Drove into the U.S., branching in one McDonald's, mm-hmm. bought the McDonald's, milkshake, everything, and turned back and we we're on our way in. Then got to the Canadian border, and they asked us, Where you come from? Oh, U.S., yes, just, what are you going to do? So I showed them the burger. I said, We're just driving, <laughs> felt hungry, and we just felt we'd go to the U.S., and we had our passport with us. We just went got the burger. They said, To the lady said, as we moved just a few seconds away from her, I just remembered three times they didn't tell me, they didn't allow me to go. And now you are going in just to buy burger. (laughs) Look at the wisdom of God. So it wasn't really that place, it's for some people, but it wasn't the place for my own destiny. And the place for my own destiny was here in this country. And see what God. I wanted to see as done, He has, but see what God is still doing. Stand on your feet like a champion. Very quickly, I want to pray, I want to just pray for somebody here today. Is it okay if I pray for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to pray I want to pray very quickly for somebody here. Before I pray, listen to me friends, I want to give you a challenge. Because this is real to me, this is real to me, this is what changed my life. When I was disillusioned in London at that time, I was disillusioned, I, I couldn't believe it. Because you see, for me it was a real shock to my sister. Everything I've touched up to that point that I went to that embassy has always worked out for me. Everything, and I mean everything. When I got the original visa to go to the US from Nigeria, in 1993, I remember clearly, it was, there was a riot going on in Nigeria. The, all the embassies were closed. The American embassy in Lagos was closed. They weren't really people, but they opened it for my company, Smith-Cline Beacham at that time, just to, for, guys, for us to come in at 7 a.m. appointment on a Tuesday morning. We went, in, we went in, there were about 60 of us in three batches. First batch, they denied the few people. I was in the second batch. I had just started work not too long ago any place. I was in the second batch. Ahead of me were people that had been working in that company for over two years. They denied them. Then they said to me, next. And I got in there, and they gave it to me. I went to the British Embassy two days a week later. They gave me multiple visas. So I'm like, I'm the king of the world. I write an exam. I didn't do well. I'll come out in 95, 96%. I was physics 105 in the university. I got 102% in the exam. Everything I've touched worked, just worked miraculously. Then here one little young girl. It's now piercing my heart. I was broken. I was in the service. Not, I wanted to say like this, but it wasn't like this. It was a Thursday evening. The cold Street in London. Holborn Street in London. City Temple Church. Shoe lane entrance, that's side door entrance, because our church, Jesus House London, was renting the premises. It was the Thursday evening they were having a program. A young, beautiful girl I had met in one birthday party had told me, Come to church, you know, if you come to church, come to church. So when I was facing all these challenges, I called her, you know. So she said, You know what, there's going to be a service to this Thursday. If you come, you know. I said, I don't have i to buy, we call it travel card in London, England. To buy the travel card, which was about 20 pounds. She said, well, if you come, I'll give you 20 pounds. I'm like, that's a good deal. I'm going, that's a good deal. I'm going, to, I'm going to church. Only Thursday, I showed up in the church. A man was preaching, just like I'm preaching now. I can't even remember what he said, but I remember how I felt. I just felt I needed this Jesus. I put it off for too long. This is just the time. Some of you are feeling that way now. You know yourself. And something kept occurring to me on that day. The people that will live a significant life in destiny, there's one key characteristic about them. They're decisive people. They don't don't procrastinate about the decision they're about to make. They make the decision. They're decisive. So I said to myself, I'm going to be decisive. When the man make a call... For people that want to give their lives to Christ, God is my witness. On the 8th of June 1995, people tell me later on that there were other people that were that also did took the same action that took on that day and came out. But you know, up to this moment, I cannot remember. All I knew was I was so determined, I was decisive, and I was determined. I decided and just decided to follow the instructions of the man because I said to myself, I'm drawing the line in the sand today. I'm going to embrace this Jesus finally. And I'm grateful I did. Somebody's here like that today. You're even more decisive than me because this is what separates champions from losers in life. You're even more decisive. You're saying to yourself, Yes, I want to embrace the love of God called Jesus. None of us can meet the standard. You can't. I can't myself. It's an impossible standard to meet. But the free gift of God is Jesus. What does it take? Just acknowledge that and receive him into your heart then by his Holy Spirit he begins to work with you and allow the original plan of God for your life to have expression somebody's in the house today you're saying, you know what preacher I'm done, I'm done with that old life I'm done with ignoring God I'm done with procrastinating and postponing it I know exactly what to do, I just want to do it I want to be decisive. I want to make up my mind. I want to come to Jesus. Somebody else is saying, the second category of people, yes, I want to come. To I did this, Pastor. you got to know my story. I did this. But along the line, some things happened, Pastor, and I have my, all my reasons and I've gone back, and I don't even know if God is going to take me back again. Let me just tell you straight away. God is going to take you back. He sent me here just because of that. His hands are wide open. This is a season for you. If you have ever given your life to Christ before, and you've gone away for Him to embrace you. So if you fall into one of those two categories, wherever you are in this hall, and please don't feel embarrassed because, you know, this is not about embarrassing you. It's not a a shameful thing. And this is not a secret cult. We're children of light. Anybody in this building that has any iota of wisdom has embraced the free gift of Christ. So if you fall into one of those two categories, please place your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty for your sincerity. God bless you. God bless you. Keep those hands there. Keep those hands there. God bless you. God bless you. Keep those hands there. Keep those hands there. God bless you. You know, our, our expression of our faith, which is what you're about to do now, as I pray for you, is definitely personal relationship with you and God, but it's never private. It's not private. There is always a public dimension to it. Okay? there's always a public dimension to it where men must know. Men need to know. When we get married, there is a public dimension. Of course, it is the two people getting married that will make the vows correct, but it is always before God and before man. There must be the before man. Luke chapter 12 verse 8 says that. There must be the before man. What I want to do, please, and to do because today is Happy Easter, I want to have the opportunity and the privilege to shake hands with you. If you will come to the front I will come down there myself, and we can pray the prayer there. Please come out, let's meet, let's meet there. God bless you, God bless you. Come on, Ignite Church, and encourage them as they come out. Don't be shy, don't be, don't be shy, don't be shy. Come, come, come. Don't wait for the first person to come, just come. Come, come. Whatever you are, come. Keep coming, just come and stand there. Thank you. If you're coming from the back, you can still come. Yes, keep coming, keep coming. Come on, Ignite Church, get excited. Yeah, keep coming. If you still want to make up your mind and still come, you can still come and join us as we say this simple prayer. Come, come, rise from your feet and come. All right. I want to say this, I want to say this simple prayer with me. This is the prayer I said also when I gave my life on that night, 8th of June, 1995. Please say this simple prayer with me and I will just do one explanation to you and give you a simple instruction in 30 seconds. Say this simple prayer with me I and mean with all of your heart. Okay. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. On the third day, you rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Take away my sin. Give me your nature in Jesus' name. Now, if you said that simple prayer you just said, something has happened in you. Okay, Jesus has come into your heart. You said that prayer, believing in your heart, confessing your mouth. You are saved. You are saved. Okay, what I want you to do, I would like you to fill this form. We have a. Um, uh, you need to be baptized in water. We have a water baptism taking place actually here at this spot on. April? Oh, next week Sunday. So I will definitely want you to please join and be part of that water baptism experience. Alright? On Sunday, next week Sunday, right here in Ignatian. So I want you to fill this form. You're going to hand it over back to that gentle, handsome young son of mine. Alright? Do you have a card? Oh, you do? Please, you just also fill it in. I will appreciate that. And is it okay if I give you a hug or something? I, I like hugging people. Is that alright? Please, So they're going to fill it that in and then. So right, let me just take the opportunity to pray for every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. As I stand there today representing Jesus the Christ, I pray for you. Whatever challenge or challenges you are facing or any member of your family is facing today, that looks like a dead end, that there will be no solution by the superiority of the wisdom of God and the supremacy of the power of God. I pray that the solutions emerge in Jesus' name. Where there is no way, I pray, God will make a way for you. Where there is no way, God will make a way for you. Where you have faced rejection in life, the Bible says that he came to his own, his own did not receive him, okay? But the Bible says, God made the one that was rejected the chief cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing. So, and it is marvelous in our eyes. A marvelous testimony that overrides rejection. I pray it becomes your portion in Jesus' name. Anywhere you have faced failure in time past. I pray for you right now, for wisdom to transform the failure into resounding testimony. The favor that overrides misfortune. I pray it comes upon you in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 7 verse 10, finally, Joseph had been put in, in the pit. He had been to the prison. But it took two forces to take him from the pit, take him from the prison, and put him in the palace where his destiny was. The Bible tells us these two forces, summarizes them by saying wisdom and favor. I pray that these two powerful forces come upon you and be working in your life from this day in Jesus' mighty name from where you are to where you ought to be. I pray these two forces will lift you there in Jesus' name. So it is in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Ignite Church. God bless you.